Welcome to these Bible lessons on the Old Testament. In these lessons, we'll cover God's magnificent creation of all the world, including the creation of man, the crown of God's creation. We'll follow with the sad fall of man in paradise and the consequences this brought to the world. In the continuing lessons, we'll teach how God visits men with the revelation of His covenant of grace. When we travel together through the entire Old Testament, we see God visiting His nation of Israel with revelations of this covenant of grace, pointing constantly to the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope these lessons are a blessing to you. Thank you. Welcome to Lesson 22 in our Old Testament Bible History series. Jacob's return to Bethel is a story that takes place over three chapters in the Bible, Genesis 34 through 36. Before we start this story, let me ask a question about promises. Do you find it easy to keep promises? I remember a time when I promised to make something for my daughter, but found I could not keep my promise. I didn't start soon enough and allowed other things to get in the way. Then, when I realized my deadline was coming, I did not have the power to keep my promise, even though I wanted to. Sometimes we make a promise and we can't keep it. Does that sound familiar to you? What we know for sure is that it is a lot easier to make promises than to keep them. As we join our story today, I see two of Jacob's sons over there with their heads close together. They are whispering furiously. Their eyes are flashing. Their hands are moving angrily. If we listen to their talk, it sounds like they are planning revenge. Why revenge? Well, their sister Dinah has been kidnapped by Shechem. Shechem was a man who was a prince of a nearby town of the same name. You see, Dinah had gone out one day to talk to the women and girls of that area. The prince Shechem saw her, he kidnapped her, and committed a horrible crime against her. But after this awful crime against Dinah, Shechem began to speak nicely to her. He even told his father that he would like to marry her. It is for this reason that Shechem's father Hamor comes to talk to Jacob to ask if he will agree to the marriage of their two children. Soon, Dinah's brothers return home from taking care of their animals. They hear about the awful crime against Dinah. They hear about the marriage request. They are furious. To them, 
This was not only a crime against Dinah, but a crime against the whole family. They think revenge is the answer. Shechem's father thinks it is a good idea if the two families could marry together. Then they would become a single people. This was often a temptation for the people of Israel. They were not permitted by God to marry with the heathens and to lose their holiness as God's chosen people. Shechem, the prince, keeps saying, I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you ask if you just allow me to marry Dinah. Jacob's sons soon have their plan of revenge. And here is their answer. They say, we can't give you our women in marriage because you are not circumcised like we are. That would be terrible for us. We can only agree to your plan if all of your men are also circumcised. If you refuse, we will take Dinah and leave. Shechem and his father, Hamor, think this is a good deal because they can see that Jacob's family is very rich. They told the other men of their city, all we have to do is be circumcised. The men immediately agree and they soon were circumcised. Three days later, the men are still recovering and are not feeling so well. This leaves their small city without any defenses. And suddenly, Simeon and Levi come into the city, totally catching the men by surprise and killing them all with their swords. They make sure that Shechem and Hamor are also killed. After rescuing Dinah, they loot the entire city. Look at them, entering every house, taking anything that had value. They capture all of the women and children, possessions, and livestock. Let's stop here for a second. Rescuing Dinah is a good thing to do. But the sons used the holy sign of God's covenant, that is circumcision, as a way to trick these men and to make themselves richer. That is not right. Jacob was horrified when he heard of this. He complains to his sons, you have caused this whole country to turn against us. Once other towns hear about what has happened here, they'll come against us with their armies and totally destroy us. Simeon and Levi are full of anger. Well, they can't treat our sister like they did. These men left us with no choice. Jacob thinks the result of these sinful actions will be that they are totally destroyed by the surrounding people. But has Jacob not forgotten something? Has he not forgotten God's promise to him that he would keep and preserve him? Yes, Jacob has sadly forgotten this and much more. Jacob has forgotten his own vow to make Jehovah his God. He has forgotten 
his promise to give a tenth of all his possessions to God. He made a promise to God, but has been careless. He has not showed much interest in completing these vows that he made to God. This terrible event with Dinah does not seem to make him remember his forgotten promise. So God comes to Jacob at the beginning of chapter 35, and God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. God commanded Jacob to return to the place where he had the dream of angels going up to heaven and coming back down. God commands him to build an altar at the spot where I appeared unto you when you were running away from Esau. Jacob knows he has work to do before leading his family in this act of worship. He has not been diligent in leading his family to worship. He has not been diligent in leading his family to worship God with their whole heart. There are idols and strange gods in his family. He says to his family, take all of your idols, get rid of them. We're going to Bethel to worship God who has always helped me wherever I have gone. Let's look a little closer at the three things Jacob says. Put away the strange gods. That's a call for his family to be ready to worship the Lord with their whole heart. Change your garments. That's a call for a ceremonial preparation before coming into the presence of God. Give up the earrings. That is a needed command because there were likely images of their idols on their earrings. Jacob gathers up these idols and buries them under an oak tree near Shechem. And there they go, off towards Bethel. Many years before, Jacob traveled this route as a lonely fugitive, and now he travels the route with a large family. This great caravan traveled in safety. They did not come under attack from the surrounding people. They traveled with divine protection. God made the people in that area to be afraid of attacking Jacob. At Bethel, Jacob built an altar and worshiped God. And God appeared unto Jacob and repeated to him that his name would be Israel and not Jacob. At this time, all of the promises given to Abraham were also given to Jacob. Jacob finishes his worship here by setting up a pillar in remembrance of this event. This place is named Bethel, the house of God. As the family moved south from Bethel, it was time for Benjamin, the second son of Jacob and Rachel, to be born. And sadly, Rachel dies during the birth of her son Benjamin, and she is buried near Bethlehem. Near the end of this story, we zoom ahead to the time of Isaac's death, and there we can see that for one last time, Esau and Jacob are reunited as they bury their father. 
Here at the end, we can see that the storyline shifts from Isaac to Esau in chapter 36. Esau's generations are covered very quickly in one chapter. He leaves the promised land, and he still receives the material blessings of children, wealth, and land. Let's now turn our attention and try to make some connections to our own life. As I have mentioned several times, these stories have a reason for being included. They're not just Bible stories with good lessons on how we can live a good life today. They're all part of one grand story, the story of God's salvation of his people. It is in this story that we also see a clear example of what God does, or in this story, rather, what God does not do. Jacob forgets God, but God does not forget Jacob. God promises that he will never forget his children. Many years later, when the Jews were captured by enemies, when they were lost in captivity and slavery, and surely feeling like God had forgotten all about them, they could look back and remember this story of God not forgetting Jacob. This would encourage them that also God does not forget them. Isaiah reminds them of this in chapter 44, verse 21. There he says, O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. Isaiah later uses an example to show how impossible it is that God would forget about Israel. He says that a mother could easier forget about her baby rather than God could forget about his people. Christians today also consider what God has done for his church in the past and know that God will not forget them in the future. God's promise to his children is, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. You can find that in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16. It is as if the names of God's children are written on his hands, and he is constantly reminded of them. God's faithfulness to Jacob's family, or Israel, was many times met with unfaithfulness. God's gift of the land to Israel was met with rebellion. Even though they constantly forgot about God and turned away from him, God shows his grace towards his people by not destroying them. The prophet Nehemiah later gives thanks to God for this mercy. He prays, or his prayer is recorded in Nehemiah 9, verse 31. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For thou art a gracious and a merciful God. So Jacob is forgetful of God. But God shows in this story that he does not forget 
his people. Next, we can also learn from the story who God is. Always remember that God's names tell us about him. Remember that our names don't always match well with our personality, but God's names are clear descriptions of him. So look at how God introduces himself to Jacob in Genesis 35 verse 11. I am God Almighty. That is, I am El Shaddai. Remember that broken promise story I told you at the beginning? Jacob here is painfully aware that he has forgotten to keep his promise to God. God had to send a trial in his life. He had to command him to return to Bethel. Jacob knows that he lacks the power to keep his promises. We hear God announce himself to Jacob. He says, I am the almighty God. I have the power and the strength to keep my promises. Not like you, Jacob. And then all those promises are repeated to Jacob. Your family will be multiplied. You will receive the promised land. I am sure that Jacob was on his knees, humbling himself before the Almighty God. You know, the psalmist later sings in 91 verse 1 and 2 that to abide under the shadow of the Almighty is to find complete rest and safety. The name Almighty God is then a reminder that God's promises will come true. This brings us to an end of our lesson on Jacob's return to Bethel. Join us in our next lesson as we learn about a beloved son and a hated brother. That will be lesson 23 about Joseph loved and Joseph hated. <laughs>